Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. Now we are going to start with the 11th chapter of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets book 2 of Harry Potter and the chapter name is The Dueling Club. Harry woke up on Sunday morning to find the dormitory blazing with winter sunlight and his arm rebound but very stiff. He sat up quickly and looked over at Colin's bed but it had been blocked from view by the high curtains Harry had managed behind yesterday. Seeing that he was awake, Madame Pomfroy came bustling over with the breakfast tray and then began bending and stretching his arm and fingers. All in order, she said, as he clumsily fed himself porridge left-handed, when you have finished eating, you may leave. Harry dressed as quickly as he could and hurried off to Gryffindor Travel, desperate to tell Ron and Hermione about Colin and Dobby. But they weren't there. Harry left the look for them, wondering where they could have got to and feeling slightly hurt that they weren't interested in whether he had his bones back or not. As Harry passed the library, Percy Weasley strolled out of it, looking in far better spirits than last time they'd met. Oh, hello, Harry, he said. Excellent flying yesterday. Really excellent. Gryffindor have just taken the lead for the house cup. You earned 50 points. You haven't seen Ron or Hermione, have you? Said Harry. No, I haven't, said Percy, his smile fading. I hope Ron's not in another gold toilet. Harry forced a laugh, watched Percy out of sight and then headed straight for Morning Michael's bathroom. He couldn't see why Ron and Hermione would be in there again, but after making sure that neither Filch or nor any prefects were around, he opened the door and heard their voices coming from a locked cubicle. It's me, he said, closing the door behind him. There was a clunk, a splash and a gasp from within the cubicle, and he saw Hermione's eye peering through the keyhole. Harry, she said, you gave us such a fright. Come on, in. How's your arm? Fine, said Harry, squeezing into the cubicle. An old cauldron was perched on the toilet, and a crackling from in, under the rim told Harry that they had lit a fire beneath it. Conjuring up portable waterproof fires was a specialty of Hermione's. We'd come to meet you, but we decided to get started on the apologies portion, Ron explained, as Harry with difficulty locked the cubicle again. We've de- decided this is the safest place to hide it. Harry started to tell them about Colin, but Hermione interrupted. We already know. We heard Professor McGonagall telling Professor Flitwick this morning. That's why we decided we'd better get going. The sooner we get a confession out of Malfoy, the better, snarled on. Do you know a thing? He was such a full temper after the Quidditch match, he took uh, it out on Colin. There's something else, said Harry, watching Hermione tearing bundles of knot grass and throwing them into the potion. Dobby came to visit me in the middle of the night. Ron and Hermione looked up, amazed. Harry told them everything Dobby had told him or hadn't told him. Ron and Hermione listened with the mouths open. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened before, said Hermione. This settles it.
said Ron in a triumphant voice. Lucius Malfoy must have opened the chamber when he was at school here, and now he's told the old Draco how to do it. It's obvious. Wish Dobby told you what kind of monsters in there, though. I want to know how come nobody's noticed it sneaking round the school. Maybe it can make it to itself invisible," said Hermione, prodding leeches to the bottom of the cauldron. Or maybe it can disguise itself, pretend to be a suit of armor, or something I've read about Tamalian girls. You read too much, Hermione," said Ron, pouring dead lacewings on top of the leeches. He crumpled up the tiny lacewing bag and looked round at Harry. So Dobby stopped us getting on the train and broke your arm. He shook his head. You know what, Harry? If he doesn't stop trying to save your life, he's going to kill you. The news that Colin Creevy had been attacked and was now lying as though dead in the hospital wing was had spread through the entire school by Monday morning. The air was suddenly thick with rumor and suspicion. The first years were now moving around the castle in tight-knit groups, as though scared they would be attacked if they ventured forth alone. Ginny Weasley, who sat next to Colin Creevy in charms, was distraught, but Harry felt that Fred and George were going the wrong way about cheering her up. They were all taking it in turns to cover themselves with fur or boils and jump out at her from behind statues. They only stopped when Percy, apoplectic with rage, told them he was going to write to Mrs. Weasley and tell her Ginny was having nightmares. Meanwhile, hidden from the chairs, from the teachers, a roaring trade in talismans, amulets, and other protective devices was sweeping the school. Never long bottom bought a large evil, evil smiling green onion, a pointed purple crystal, and a rotting newt tail before the other. Gryffindor boys pointed out that he was in no, he's in no danger. He was a pure blood and therefore unlikely to be attacked. They went for Filch first, Neville said. He round-faced, fearful, and everyone knows I'm almost a squib. In the second week of Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall came around as usual, collecting names of those who would be staying at school for Christmas. Harry, Ron, and Hermione signed her list. They were. They had heard that Malfoy was staying, which struck them as very suspicious. The holidays would be the perfect time to use the apologies potion and try to warm a confession out of him. Unfortunately, the potion was only half finished. They still needed the beacon horn and the boomslang skin, and the only place they were going to get them was from Snape's private stores. Harry privately felt he'd rather face Slytherin's legendary monster than have Snape catch him robbing his office. What we need, said Hermione briskly, as Thursday afternoon's double potions lessons loom nearer in a diversion, then one of us can sneak into Snape's office and take what we need. Harry and Ron looked at her very nervously. I think I'd better do the actual stealing, 
Hermione continued. In matter of fact, don't. You two will be expelled if you get in, in any more trouble. And I've got a clean record, so all you need to do is cause enough mayhem to keep Snape busy for five minutes or so. Harry smiled feebly, deliberately causing mayhem in Snape's potions class was about as safe as poking a sleeping dragon in the eye. Potions lessons took place in one of the large dungeons. Thursday afternoon's lesson proceeded in the usual way. Twenty cauldrons stood steaming behind the wooden desks on which stood brass scales and jars of ingredients. Snape rolled through the fumes, making waspish remarks about the Gryffindor's work while the Slytherin sniggered apparently. Draco Malfoy, who was Snape's favorite student, kept flicking pufferfish eyes at Ron and Harry, who knew that if they retaliated, they would get detention faster than you could say unfair. Harry's swelling solution was far too runny, but he had his mind on more important things. He was waiting for Hermione's signal, and he hardly listened as Snape paused to sneer at his watery potion. When Snape turned and walked off to bully Neville, Hermione got Harry's eye and nodded. Harry ducked swiftly down behind the co- his cauldron, pulled one of Fred's filibuster fireworks out of the pocket and gave it a quick prod with his wand. The firework began to fizz and sputter. Knowing he had only seconds, Harry straightened up, took aim and lobbed, lobbed it into the air. It landed right on the target in Goyle's cauldron. Goyle's potion exploded, showering the whole glass. People shrieked as splashes of the swelling solution hit them. Malfoy got a face full of his nose, began to swell like a balloon. Goyle blundered around, his hands over his eyes, which had expanded to the size of dinner plate. While Snape was trying to restore calm and find out what had happened through the confusion, Harry saw Hermione slip quietly out of the door. Silence! Silence! Snape roared. Anyone who has been splashed, come here for a deflating draught when I find out who did this. Harry tried not to laugh as he watched Malfoy hurry forward his head drooping with the weight of a nose like a small melon, small melon, as half the class lumbered up to Snape's desk, some weighed down with arms like clubs, others unable to talk through the gigantic puffs up lips. Harry saw Hermione slide back into the dungeon, the front of her robes bulging. When everyone had taken a swig of antidote and the various swellings, had subsided, Snape swept over Goyle's cauldron and scooped out the twisted black remains of the firework. There was a sudden hush. If I ever find out who threw this, Snape whispered, I shall make sure the person is expelled. Harry arranged his face into what he hoped was a puzzled expression. Snape was looking right at him, and the bell which rang ten minutes later could not have been more welcome. He knew it was me, Harry told Ron and Hermione, as they hurried back to morning Mitchell's bathroom. I could tell 
Hermione threw the new ingredients into the cauldron and began to stir feverishly. It'll be ready in a fortnight, she said happily. Snape can't prove it with you, said Ron, reassuringly to Harry. What can he do? Knowing Snape, something full, Harry, said Harry, as the potion frothered and bubbled. A week later, Harry, Ron, and Hermione were walking across the entrance hall when they saw a small knot of people gathered around the notice board, reading a piece of parchment that had just been pinned up. Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas beckoned them over, looking excited. They are starting a dual dueling club, said Seamus. First meeting tonight. I wouldn't mind dueling lessons. They might come in handy one of these days. What you reckon Slytherin's monster can duel? said Ron, but he too read the sign with interest. Could be useful, he said to Harry and Hermione as they went into dinner. Shall we go? Harry and Hermione were all for it. So at eight o'clock that evening, they hurried back to the great hall. The long dining tables had vanished and a gold stage had appeared along one wall lit by thousands of candles floating overhead. The ceiling was velvety black once more and most of the school seemed to be packed beneath it, all carrying their wands and looking excited. I wonder who will be teaching us, said Hermione, as they edged into the chattering crowd. Someone told me Flitwick was a dueling champion when he was young. Maybe it will be him. As long as it's not, Harry began, but he needed on a groan. Glitteroy Lockhart was walking onto the stage, replendent in the robes of deep plum and accompanied by none other than Snape, wearing his usual black. Lockhart waved an arm for silence and called, Gather round, gather round. Can every, any, everyone see me? Can you all hear me? Excellent. Now, Professor Dumbledore has granted me permission to start this little dueling club to train you all up in case you ever need to defend yourselves, as I myself have done on countless occasions. For full details, see my published works. Let me introduce my assistant, Professor Snape. Said Lockhart, flashing a wide smile. He tells me he knows a tiny little bit about dueling himself and has poutingly agreed to help me with a short, short demonstration before we begin. Now, I don't want any of you youngsters to worry. You still have your potions, Master, when I'm through with him. Never fear. Wouldn't it be good if they finished each other off? Ron muttered in Harry's ear. Snape's upper lip was curling. Harry wondered why Lockhart was still smiling. If Snape had been looking at him like that, we'd have been running as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Lockhart and Snape turned to face each other and bowed at, la- at least. Lockhart did with much twirling of his hands, whereas Snape jerked his head irritatedly. Then they raised their wands like swords in front of them. As you see, we are holding our wands in an in the accepted combative position. Lockhart told the silent crowd, On the count of three, we will cast our first spells. Neither of us will be aiming to kill, of course. I wouldn't bet that bet on that, Harry murmured, watching Snape baring his teeth. One, two, three. Both of them swung their wands up 
all over their shoulders snape cried expelliarmus there was a dazzling flash of scarlet light and lockhart was blasted off his feet he flew backwards off the stage smashed into the wall and slid down it to sprawl on the floor malfoy and some of the other slytherin stared hermione was dancing on tiptoes do you think he's all right he squealed through her fingers who cares said harry and ron together lockhart was getting unsteadily to his feet his hat had fallen off and his baby hair was standing on end well there you have it he said tottering back onto the platform that was disarming charm as you see i've lost my wand ah thank you miss brown yes an excellent idea to show them that professor snape but if you don't mind my saying mind my saying so it was obvious that you were about to do if i had wanted to stop you it would have been only too easy however i felt it would be instructive to let them see snape was looking murderous possibly lockhart had noticed because he had enough demonstrating i am going to come amongst you now and put you all into pairs professor snape if you'd like to help me they moved through the crowd matching up partners lockhart teamed neville with justin finch Fletchy, but Snape reached Harry and Ron first. Time to split up the dream th- team, I think. He sneered Weasley. You can partner Finnegan. Potter. Harry moved automatically towards Hermione. I don't think so, said Snape coldly. Mr. Malfoy, come over here. Let's see what you make the fam- of the famous Potter. And you, Miss Granger, you can partner Miss Bulstrode. Malfoy strutted over, smirking. Behind him walked a Slytherin girl who reminded Harry of a picture he'd seen in Holidays with Hags. She was large and square, and her heavy jaw jutted aggressively. Hermione gave her a weak smile, which she did not return. Face your parents, called Lockhart back on the platform, and bow. Harry and Malfoy barely lined their hands, not taking their eyes off each other. Once at the ready, shouted Lockhart, When I count three, cast your charms to disarm your opponent, only to disarm them. We don't want any accidents. One, two, three. Harry swung his wand over his shoulder, but Malfoy had already started in two. His spell hit Harry so hard he felt as though he'd been hit over the head with a saucepan. He stumbled, but everything still seemed to be working, and wasting no more time, Harry pointed his wand up straight at Malfoy and shouted, Rictusempra! A jet of silver light hit Malfoy in the stomach and he doubled up, wheezing. I said, Disarm only! Lockhart shouted in alarm over the heads of the battling crowd as Malfoy sank to his knees. Harry had hit him with a tickling charm and he could barely move for laughing. Harry hung back with a vague feeling it would be unsupporting to be with Malfoy while he was on the door, but this was a mistake. Gasping for breath, Malfoy pointed his wand at Harry's knees, choked, Tarantalegra, and next second Harry's leg, leg was has begun to jerk out around of his control in a kind of quick step. Stop! Stop! screamed Lockhart, but Snape took charge. Benete in Canton! He shouted. Harry's feet stopped dancing. Malfoy stopped laughing and they were able to look up. A haze of greenish smoke was hovering over the scene. 
Both Neville and Justin was were lying on the floor, panting. Ron was holding up an ashen-faced Seamus, apologizing for whatever he his broken wand had done. But Hermione and Melissa Balstrode were still moving. Melissa had Hermione in a headlock, and Hermione was whimpering in pain. Both their hands lay forgotten on the floor. Harry leapt forward and pulled Melissa off. It was difficult. She was a lot bigger than he was. Dear, dear, said Lockhart, stickering, skittering through the crowd, looking at the after mass of the duels. Up you get, Macmillan. Careful there, Miss Fawkett. Pinch, it's hard. It'll spl- stop bleeding in a second. Boot. I think I'd better teach you how to block unfriendly spells, said Lockhart, standing flustered in the midst of the hall. He glanced at Snape, whose black eyes glinted and looked quickly away. Let's have a volunteer pair. Longbottom and Finch Fletchy, how about you? A bad idea, Professor Lockhart, said Snape, gliding over like a large and malevolent bat. Longbottom causes devastation with the simplest spells. We'll be sending what left on Finch Fletchy up to the hospital wing in a matchbox. Neville's round pink face went pinker. How about Malfoy and Potter? said Snape with a twisted smile. Excellent idea, said Lockhart. When Draco points his wand at you, you do this. He raised his wand, attempted a complicated sort of wiggling action and dropped it. Snape smirked as Lockhart quickly picked it up, saying, Whoops, my wand is a little overexcited. Snape moved closer. To Malfoy bent down and whispered something in his ear. Malfoy smirked too. Harry looked nervously up at Lockhart and said, Professor, could you show me that blocking thing again? Scared, muttered Malfoy, so that Lockhart couldn't hear him. You wish, said Harry, out of the corner of his mouth. Lockhart coughed Harry merrily on his shoulder. Just do what I did, Harry. What? Drop my wand? But Lockhart wasn't listening. Three, two, one, and go, he shouted. Malfoy raised his wand quickly and bellowed. Serpentopitia! The end of his wand exploded. Harry watched aghast, and a long black snake shot out of it, fell heavily onto the floor between them, and raised itself, ready to strike. There were screams as the crowd backed swiftly away, clearing the floor. Don't move, Potter, said Snake lately, clearing, clearly enjoying that sight of Harry standing motionless, eye to eye with the angry snake. I'll get rid of it. Allow me, shouted Lockhart. He bandished, brandished his wand at the snake, and there was a loud bang. The snake, instead of vanishing, flew ten feet into the air and fell back on the floor with a loud smack, engraged hissing furiously. It slithered straight towards Justin Finch Fletchy and raised itself again, fangs exposed, poisoned, poised to strike. Harry wasn't sure that made him do it. He wasn't even aware of deciding to do it. All he knew was that his legs were carrying him forward as though he was on casters and that he had shouted stupidly the snake leave him and miraculously insect 
Unexpectedly, the snake slumped to the floor. Jocko, as a thick black garden rose, hose, its eyes now on Harry. Harry felt the fear drain out of him. He knew the snake wouldn't attack anyone now, though how he knew it, he couldn't have explained. He looked up at Justin, grinning, expecting to see Justin looking relieved or puzzled or even grateful, but certainly not angry and scared. What do you think you're playing at? He shouted, and before Harry could say anything, Justin had turned and stormed out of the hall. Snape stepped forward, waved his wand, and the snake vanished in a small puff of black smoke. Snape, too, was looking at Harry in an unexpected way. It was shred, shrived, and calculating look, and Harry didn't like it. He was also dimly aware of an ominous muttering all around the walls. Then he felt a tugging on the back of his robes. Come on, said Ron's voice in his ear. Move, come on. Ron steered him out of the hall, Hermione hurrying alongside them as they went through the doors that opened the people on the other side. Either side drew away as though they were frightened of catching something. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on and neither Ron or Hermione explained anything until they had dragged him all the way up to the empty Gryffindor common room. Then Ron pushed Harry into an armchair and said, You are a puzzle mouth. Why didn't you tell us? I'm a what? said Harry. A parcel mouth, said Ron. You can talk to snakes. I know, said Harry. I mean, that's only that's only the second time I've ever done it. I accidentally said a boa constrictor on my cousin Dudley at the zoo once. Long story, but it was telling me I it had never seen Brazil and I sort of set it free without meaning to. That was before I knew I was a wizard. A boa constrictor told you it had never seen Brazil, said Ron. Uh, Ron repeated faintly. So, said Harry, I bet loads of people here can do it. Oh no, they can't, said Ron. It's not a very common gift, Harry. This is bad. What's bad, said Harry, starting to feel quite angry. What's wrong with everyone? Listen, if I hadn't told the snake not to attack Justin, oh, that's what you said to it. What do you mean? You were there. You heard me. I heard you speaking parcel tongue, said Ron. Snake language. You could have been saying anything. No wonder Justin panicked. You sounded like you were edging, egging the snake on or something. It was creepy, you know. Harry gasped at him. I spoke a different language, but I didn't realize... How can I speak a language without knowing I can't speak it? Ron shook his head. Both he and Hermione were looking as though someone had died. Harry couldn't see what was so terrible. Do you want to tell me what's wrong with stopping a dirty great snake biting Justin's head off? He said, what does it matter how I did it as long as Justin doesn't have to join the headless hunt? It matters, said Hermione, speaking at last in a hushed voice, because being able to talk to snakes was what Salada Slytherin was famous for. That's why the symbol of Slytherin House is a serpent. 
Harry's mouth fell open. Exactly, said Ron, and now the whole school's going to think you are his great, 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 great grandson or something. But I'm not, said Harry with a panic he couldn't quite explain. You'll find that hard to prove, said Hermione. He lived about a thousand years ago, for all we know you could be. Harry lay awake for hours that night through a gap in the hangings round his bow poster. He watched snow starting to drift past the tower window and wondered, could he be a descendant of Salazar Slytherin? He didn't know anything about his father's family. After all, the Dursleys have always forbidden questions about his residing relatives. Quietly, Harry tried to say something in a parcel tongue. The words wouldn't come. It seemed he had to face to, uh, to face to face with a snake to do it. But I'm in Gryffindor, Harry thought. The Sorting Hat wouldn't have put me in here if I had Slytherin blood. Ah, said a nasty little voice in his brain. But the Sorting Hat wanted to put in Slytherin. Don't you remember? Harry turned over. He'd see Justin next day in herbology and he'd explain that he'd been calling the snake off, not egging it on, which he thought angrily, pummeling his pillow, any fool should have realized. By next morning, however, the snow had begun and the night had turned into a blizzard so thick that the last herbology lesson of term was cancelled. Professor Sprout wanted to fit Stops and scarves on the mandrakes, a tricky operation she would entrust to no one else now that it was so important for the mandrakes to grow quickly and revive Mrs. Norris and Colin Creevy. Harry fretted about this next on the, to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, while Ron and Hermione used their lessons off to play a game of wizard's chess. For heaven's sake! Harry, said Hermione, exasperated as one of Ron's bishops wrestled her knight off his horse and dragged him off the boat. Go and find Justin if it's so important to you. So Harry got up and left through the portrait hole, wondering where Justin might be. The castle was darker than it usually was in daytime because of the thick, swirling grey snow at the window. At every window, shivering, Harry walked past the classrooms where lessons were taking place, catching snatches of what was happening within. Professor McGonagall was shouting at any someone who, by the sound of it, had turned his friend into a badger, resisting the urge to take a look. Harry walked on by, thinking that Justin might be using his free lesson to catch up on some work and deciding to check the library first. A group of the Hufflepuffs, who should have been in herbology, were indeed sitting at the back of the library, but they didn't seem to be working between the long lines of high bookshelves. Harry could see that their heads were close together and they were having what looked like an absorbing conversation. He couldn't see whether Justin was among them. He was walking towards them when something of what they were saying met his ears and he paused to listen, hidden in the invisibility section. So anyway, a shout, a stout boy was saying, I told Justin to hide up in our dormitory. I mean to say, if Potters marked him down as his next victim, it's best 
if he keeps a low profile for a while. Of course, Justin's been waiting for something like this to happen ever since he let slip to Potter. He was a muggle-born. And Justin actually told him he'd been down for Eton. That's not the kind of thing you bandy about the Slytherin's hair on uh, the loose, is it? You definitely think it is Potter than Ernie, said a girl with blonde pigtails anxiously. Hannah, said the stout boy solemnly, he's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that the, that the dark mark of a wizard, of a dark wizard. Have you ever heard of a descent or one who could talk to snakes? They called Slytherin himself Serpent Tongue. There was some heavy murmuring at this, and Ernie went on. Remember what was written on the wall? Enemies of the hair be aware. Potter had some sort of run-in with Felt. Next thing we know, Felt's cat attacked. The first year creepy was annoying Potter at the Quidditch match, taking pictures of him while he was lying in the mud. Next thing we knew, Creevy's been attacked. He always seems so nice, though, said Hannah unsteadily. And, well, he's the one who made you-know-who disappear. He can't be all bad, can he? Ernie lowered his voice mysteriously. The Hufflepuffs bent closer and Harry edged nearer so that he could catch Ernie's words. No one knows how he survived that attack by you know who. I mean to say, he was only a baby What it, when it happened. He should have been blasted into smithereens. smithereens. Only a really powerful dark wizard. He was barely more than a whisper and said, That's probably you know who wanted to kill him in the first place. Didn't want another Dark Lord competing with him. I wonder what other powers Potter's been hiding. Harry couldn't ta- take any more. Clearing his throat loudly, he stepped out from behind the bookshelves. If he hadn't been feeling so angry, he would have found the sight that greeted him funny. Every one of the Hufflepuffs looked as though they had been petrified by the sight of him, and the colour was raining out of Ernie's face. Hello, said Harry. I'm looking for Justin Finch Fletchy. The Hufflepuffs' worst fears had clearly been confirmed. They all looked fearfully at Ernie. What do you want with him? said Ernie in a quivering voice. I wanted to tell him what really happened with that snake at the dueling club, said Harry. Ernie bit his lips and then, taking a deep breath, said, We were all there. We saw what happened. Then you noticed that after I spoke it, the snake backed off, said Harry. All I saw, said Ernie stubbornly, though he was trembling as he spoke, was you speaking parcel tongue and chasing the snake towards Justin. I didn't chase it at him, Harry said, his voice shaking with anger. It didn't even touch him. It was a near, very near miss, said Ernie, and in case you're getting ideas, he added hastily, I might tell you that you can trace my family back through nine generations of witches and warlocks, and my blood's as pure as anyone's. So, I don't care what sort of blood you've got, said Harry fiercely. Why would I want to attack muggle-borns? I heard you hate those muggles you live with, said Ernie swiftly. 
It's not possible to live with the Dursleys and not hate them, said Harry. I'd like to see you try it. He turned on his heel and stormed out of the library, earning himself a reproving glare from Madame Prince, Pince, who was polishing the glided cover of a large spellbook. Harry blundered up in the corridor. Barely noticing where he was going, he was in such a hurry. The result was that he walked into something very large and solid, which knocked him backwards onto the floor. Oh, hello, Hagrid, Harry said, looking up. Hagrid's face was entirely hidden by a woolly, snow-covered balaclava. But it couldn't possibly be anyone else, as he filled most of the corridor in his moleskin overcoat. A dead rooster was hanging from one of his massive gloved hands. All right, Harry, he said, pulling up the bar cover so he could speak. Why aren't you in the class? Cancelled, said Harry, getting up. What are you doing in here? Hagrid held up the limp rooster. Second one killed this term. He explained it's either foxes or a blood-sucking bugbear, and I need the headmaster's permission to put a charm round the hand coop. He peered more closely at Harry from under the his thick, snow-flicked eyebrows. You sure you're all right? Yeah, you look all hot and bothered. Harry couldn't bring himself to repeat what Ernie and the rest of the Hufflepuffs had been saying about him. It's nothing, he said. I'd better get going, Hagrid. It's transfiguration next, and I've got to pick up my books. He walked off, and his mind still full of what Ernie had said about him. Justin's been mating, waiting for something like this to happen ever since he let slip to Potter. He was muggle-born. Harry stammered up the stairs and turned along another corridor, which was particularly dark. The torches had been extinguished by a strong icy draught, which was blowing through a loose window pane. He was halfway down the passage when he tripped headlong over something lying on the floor. He turned to squint at what he'd fallen over and felt as though his stomach had dissolved. Justin Finch Fletchy was lying on the floor, rigid and cold, a look of shock frozen on his face, his eyes staring blankly at the ceiling, and that wasn't it all, wasn't all. Next to him was another figure, the strangest sight Harry had ever seen. It was nearly headless Nick, no longer palely white and transparent, but black and smoky, floating immobile and horizontal six inches off the floor. His head was half off, and his face wore an expression of shock identical to Justin's. Harry got to his feet, his breathing fast and shallow, his heart doing a kind of drum roll against his ribs. He looked wildly up and down the deserted corridor and saw a line of spiders scuttling as fast as they could. Away from the bodies, the only sounds were the muffled voices of teachers from the classes on either side. He could run, and no one would ever know he had been there, but he couldn't just leave them lying here. He had to get help. Would anyone believe he hadn't had anything to do with this? As he stood there, panicking, a door right next to him opened with a bang. Peeves, the apologies came shooting out. 
Why, it's Potty V. Potter, cackled Peeves, knocking Harry's glasses Ask you as he bounced past him. What's Potter up to? Why is Potter lurking? Peeves stopped halfway through a mid-air mid somersault. Upside down, he spotted Justin and he- nearly headless Nick. He flipped the right way up, filled his lungs, and before Harry could stop him, screamed, Attack! Attack! Another attack! No mortal or ghost is safe! Run for your lives! Attack! Crash, crash, crash. Da- door after door flew open along the corridor and people flooded out for several long minutes. There was a scene of such confusion that Justin was in danger of being squashed and pe- squashed, and people kept standing in nearly headless neck. Harry found himself pinned against the wall as the teacher shouted for quiet. Professor McGonagall came running, following, followed by her own class, one of whom still had black and white stripped hair. She used her wand to set off a loud bang, which restored silence and ordered everyone back into the classes. No sooner had the scene cleared somewhat than Ernie, the Hufflepuff, arrived, panting on the scene. Caught in the act, Ernie yelled, his face stark white, pointing his finger dramatically at Harry. That will do, Macmillan, said Professor McGonagall sharply. Peeves was bobbing overhead, now grinning wickedly, surveying the scene. Peeves always loved Joe's. As the teachers bent over Justin and nearly headless Nick, examining them, Peeves broke into song. Oh, Potter, you, Roger, oh, what you have done. You're killing off students and you think it's good fun. That's enough, Peeves, barked Professor McGonagall, and Peeves zoomed up way backwards with his tongue out at Harry. Justin was carried up to the hospital wing by Professor Flitwick and Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department, but nobody seemed to know what to do for nearly headless neck. In the end, Professor McGonagall conjured a large fan out of the thin air, which she gave to Ernie with instructions to waft nearly headless neck up the stairs. This Ernie did, fanning next along like a silent, silent black hovercraft. This left Harry and Professor McGonagall alone together. This way, Potter, she said. Professor, said Harry at once. I swear I didn't. This is out of my hands, Potter, said Professor McGonagall curtly. They managed in silence around a corner as she stopped before a large and extremely ugly stone gargoyle. Shabbat Lemon, she said. This was evidently a password because the gargoyle sprang suddenly to life and hoped aside as the wall behind him split into two. Even full of the dread four was, was coming, Harry couldn't fail to be amazed. Behind the wall was a spiral staircase, which was moving smoothly upwards like an escalator. As he and Professor McGonagall stepped onto it, Harry heard the walls thud close behind them. They rose upwards in circles, higher and higher, until at last, slightly dizzy, Harry could see a gleaming oak door ahead with a brass knocker in the shape of a griffin. He knew where he was being taken. This must be where Dumbledore lived. Okay, everybody, so now our chapter is finished and we are going to start our next chapter. 
which is uh, the apologies portion in our next class till then thank you for listening bye bye